Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. This morning, I want to start a new series called What's In It For Me. Why don't you repeat that after me? Say, what's in it for me? Yeah, what's in it for me? Some of you are like, well, what's in it for me that I just repeated after you? What's in it for me? We live in a consumeristic society where, the quest, where this question is asked regularly, whether it's intentional or unintentional, what's in it for me? We look at the things in life and we wonder, is it worth our time or investment? Is it worth our effort? And if we do, what will we gain from it? If we aren't careful, we'll allow this way of thinking to permeate how we view spiritual disciplines. On January 1st, we started a church-wide 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's an opportunity for us to refocus at the beginning of the year and draw close to the Lord. There's a specific prayer focus each day on Facebook that you can be praying together with other people in the church about. And some of you are like, oh, shoot, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fasting Facebook. Well, we also have a website, and you can go to crosspointwaverly.com, click on the Get Connected tab, and underneath there you'll see uh, where it says 21 days of prayer and fasting, and you can see the different prayer uh, emphasis for each of those days. Fasting enables us to silence the rest of the world around us and tune our ears into the voice of the Spirit. As we grow and mature as followers of Jesus, we understand that the biblical purpose of Bible study and prayer and fasting and fellowship and giving is not primarily what we can get out of it, but instead because we love God. I think of it this way when You're coaching an athletic team. You not only want your team to win, you want them to want to win. You want them to put in the necessary effort in order to become the champions or the best at what they do. I just want to tell you that as your pastor, I don't want you to just cross the finish line at the end of your race of faith. I want you to get to the end of your race of faith and cross the finish line with an exuberant amount of joy in your heart, knowing that you did everything that God asked you to do, and you'll hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't just want you to practice spiritual disciplines, I want you to want to practice spiritual disciplines. And not out of duty or obligation, but because you love God and you want to draw closer to him by spending time with him. I generally take Fridays off. That's our normal routine. The office is closed on Fridays. And uh, man, if you're taking notes, you'll, you'll, I'm about to set the bar really high uh, for you. Eric and I always have a romantic date on Fridays. And, uh, and so this is what it consists of if you're looking for advice today. So generally, I take her to lunch. And then we go grocery shopping after that. I'm telling you, I told you the bar would be high, uh, great expectations. And, and I'll tell you that each Friday morning, I don't need someone to call me and say, hey, have you thought about spending time with Erica today? Have you thought about maybe taking her to lunch and going grocery shopping because that's super romantic and amazing and exciting? I don't need someone to call me on Fridays and encourage me to spend time with my wife. Now listen, if you did call me and encourage me to do that, that's fantastic encouragement and it's fantastic advice. 
but 21 years of marriage and relationship. I don't need someone to tell me that. I need to spend time with my wife. I love spending time with my wife. It's a joy for me on Fridays to spend the day with her and to go on a date and to take her to lunch and to, uh, and to go grocery shopping. In life, if we want a return on the things we do, if we do it just for an investment, if we're honest, we want the biggest returns as fast as we can get them. And as you think about your spiritual discipline, some of you have banked a ton of hours in spiritual disciplines. Some of you, your knowledge of God is enviable. Right, The way that you pray is inspirational. The depth of your relationship with God is remarkable. Maybe there are some of you who are like, Pastor, I've tried fasting, I've tried praying, I've tried reading my Bible, and I didn't see any change, and I didn't notice any difference. I didn't feel anything. How many of you have ever started putting money into a retirement plan at some point in your life? Would you just slip up your hands? Okay. So 20 years ago, my wife and I began putting in $50 a month into my retirement account. Can I tell you, I didn't feel any different. My balance didn't look any different. In fact, I lied in that first statement. I did feel different. I felt demoralized. I, at the current calculations of $50 a month, I might would be able to retire when I'm 654 years old. Now, I'm grateful that I've got decades before I'll need to retire, and uh, I'm grateful for that for a number of reasons. One, because if we had to retire right now, we would starve. But secondly, like I look back over the faithfulness of contributing some years more than others and to see that that balance has increased over time and over the next couple of decades as we continue to make that investment by the time that we get ready to retire what its intent will be is uh, that it'll be there to take care of us for uh, and the discipline will have paid off in a similar way I want to say to you about spiritual disciplines that sometimes you're not going to feel something different And whether we feel it or not, whether we see the tangible results or not, the balance is increasing. The relationship with God is going deeper. Some of you set New Year's resolutions and you're still on track. And some of you are like, no, I blew those five minutes in uh, into the year. Maybe some of you said, I'm going to eat less and exercise more. And I guarantee you that you said that not just because there's this intrinsic motivation for that, but instead there's this other motive that you would expect to lose weight or feel better or have your clothes fit differently or you would have more energy. And if you don't experience all or some of those, then the motivation to deny yourself or to achieve your goals goes out the window. You apply yourself in your studies with the expectation of getting a scholarship or scoring an A on your assignment or on your exam. And if you don't get that return, then it's demotivating for you. You go above and beyond at work to receive a promotion or a raise. And when we take the same line of thinking with spiritual disciplines, it can lead us to thinking of them as transactional. So you say, God, I've done this. Now give me what's in it for me. God, I did for you, now you owe me. Can I just tell all of us this morning that God doesn't owe us anything? He doesn't owe us anything. What Jesus did for us on Calvary is more than enough and more than what we deserve. 
So this year, may we all seek God, may we pray and fast and read our Bibles, not to check off a task on a to-do list, but to experience knowing him on a deeper level. I would encourage you to turn this morning to Psalm chapter 37 in your Bible, Psalm chapter 37. It's also going to appear on the screen. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word, for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Do you make your word come alive to us, open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand what you would have in Jesus' name, amen. If we view spiritual disciplines as transactional, then we'll fall into answering and asking the question the psalmist is answering in this passage, which is, why does it seem like the righteous suffer while the wicked seem to prosper? And so it looks like this, Lord, I fasted and prayed and I still got sick. Lord, I fasted and prayed and I still was passed up for the promotion. Lord, I fasted and prayed and my marriage still ended. I fasted and prayed and fill in whatever life circumstance that you're facing right now. Lord, I was faithful with my tithe and my car still broke down. I gave generously to the miracle offering and the kingdom builders and my washer and dryer went out. All the while, my coworkers who don't even know you or serve you or love you seem to prosper. The theological foundation for this psalm is the covenant that God made with Israel that you can read about in Leviticus chapter 27 and Deuteronomy chapter 27 through 30. God owned the land, and if Israel obeyed him, then they could live in the land and enjoy its blessings. If Israel disobeyed the Lord, he would first chasten them in the land with invasion and drought and famine. And if they continued to rebel, he would take them out of the land and into captivity. And in these passages, it seems like the wicked are prospering, and it doesn't seem like God is doing anything about it. The prophet Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah chapter 12, and we're reading from the Message Bible. He says, you are right, O God, and you set things right. He said, I can't argue with that, but I do have some questions. How many of you have ever had some questions for God? just tell you he's big enough for our questions and he's willing to give an answer he says why do bad people have it so good you ever ask the same question why do con artists make it big he continues you planted them they put down roots they flourished and produced fruit they talk as if they're old friends with you but they couldn't care less about you meanwhile You know me inside and out. 
you don't let me get by with a thing. How many of you have a kid like that? You have expectations upon them, and they're like, oh, the other kids, and you're like, you don't let me get by with anything. He says, meanwhile, you know me inside and out. You don't let me get by with a thing. He says, make them pay for the way they live. Pay with their lives like sheep marked for slaughter. How long do we have to put up with this, the country depressed, the farms in ruin? And all because of wickedness, these wicked lives, even animals and birds are dying off because they'll have nothing to do with God and think God has nothing to do with them. These are strong words from Jeremiah. When we go back to Psalm chapter 37, the psalmist wrote, don't waste any emotional bandwidth because of evildoers. He goes on to write, don't be envious of wrongdoers. He knows what their end will be. And in verse number two, he addresses it not in a celebratory way, but he says, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. The righteous could fret over the problem. They could leave the land or they could go on being faithful, trusting the Lord to keep his word. David decided to keep the ultimate and the eternal in mind rather than the immediate and the temporal. He encouraged Solomon and the people to believe God's promises and to wait on him. And he gives them the assurance that God can be trusted. He gives them the assurance that God can be trusted and he can still be trusted. In verse number three, he says these words, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. The writer of Proverbs chapter three in verse number five writes, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your straight, he'll make straight your paths. We can and we should trust the Lord in all things at all times. We can and we should trust the Lord in all things at all times. Psalm chapter 37, verse three, trust in the Lord. He says, and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Trust in the Lord and doing good works goes hand in hand. Good works don't save us, but out of the abundance of our hearts, out of what Christ has done for us, this is what we should desire is to serve him in good works. And we go back to the question of motivation. What is in it for me? We don't do good works to get a return on investment. We do good works because we love God. We do good works because we love God. And the psalmist wrote, don't fret. He says, don't be constantly or visibly worried or anxious, but instead, in verse number three, he says, trust in the Lord. A fretful heart is not a trusting heart because it lacks joy and peace. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15, verse number 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God doesn't want you filled with worry and anxiety. He wants you filled with joy and peace. The ESV version ends verse number three with this phrase, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. I love that phrase. What a cool phrase. Befriend faithfulness, experience God's faithfulness in an empty way, Don't, I mean, not in an empty way, in a big way, in a fulfilling way, in an intimate way. Don't stand off from God's faithfulness. Instead, be in close proximity, be a friend of God's faithfulness. The NIV translates it, enjoy safe pastures. God is faithful to us and we can trust in the Lord. The psalmist continues in verse number four, a verse that some of you are very familiar with. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Now, I think that there are way too many people who look at this verse and forget about the first part of it, and it's like, God's just gonna give me the desires of my heart. And I'll just tell you that the heart is wicked. Like, I hope that God doesn't give some of you the desires of your heart. We've got to read the first part of this, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Again, we revisit this thought, and it's not, we don't read this and think, all I have to do is what I'm supposed to do, and if I do, then God will give me all of my desires. The word delight comes from the Hebrew root word anag, which means to be soft or pliable. So this is not a transaction or being with God and and getting what I want. Instead, as we spend time praying and fasting and reading our Bibles and serving and giving, God changes us and he changes our desires as we spend time with him. And because we're flexible and because we're pliable, he molds our desires to his will. And in Jesus, we need nothing else. If we truly delight in the Lord, then the chief desire of our heart will be to know him better so we can delight in him even more and the Lord will satisfy that desire. It's easy for the Lord to give us the desires of our heart when we've spent time with him and the desires of our heart are his desires because we've been in close proximity with him. We've been saying, God, what is your desire for me? What is your desire in this heart? And so then when our desires reflect his desires, of course, he would wanna give us those desires. It's not about accumulating things. Lord, the desire of my heart is to have a new boat. Let's do this. A new truck? No. It isn't about things. It's about a deeper relationship with him. It's about those who want more of God in their lives. And the closer that we get to him, the more our desires reflect his. Scripture tells us to look at things through a, with a certain perspective. We can find that in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. The perspective or the lens that we can view some things through is in the view of the mercies of God. Romans chapter 12, verse number one, Paul starts out, in view of the mercies of God. When we view everything we do, including our spiritual disciplines through the mercies of God, our motivation shifts. Can I tell you that nothing spiritually significant has ever been accomplished with the mindset of what's in it for me? But significant, eternal things have been accomplished with a mindset that keeps the mercies of God front and center. And there's no better example of that than Jesus. Psalmist writes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yesterday I was in Des Moines teaching an introduction to missions class for students who are pursuing ministerial credentials. I've had the opportunity to teach that class over the last 10 years. And in doing so, there's a missionary who served for 30 years in the Middle East. His name is Mark Renfro. And each year through... uh, through video conferencing, I've had him come in and teach one of the sessions of the class. And I sent him the schedule of all of the classes, you know, from nine o'clock in the morning till four o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, which slot are you, avail- are you available for a slot? And if so, which one? And of course he picked nine o'clock, right? The very first session. So I said to the class yesterday, his session has been the highlight of every year uh, of the class for each year. And now he's gonna set the bar super high so then I can disappoint you for, uh, for the rest of the day. Mark has this power and this conviction as he talks about missions and he talked about unreached people groups and, uh, and what God is doing around the world. And he took a few moments to talk about the motivation of, that we have to fulfill the Great Commission and the challenges for each one. And as he shared those, I'm like, man, this, 
this is good stuff. This goes along with the message today. And whether it's us fulfilling the Great Commission or whether it's us fulfilling the mission and the vision that God has given for our church or whether it's to do with, with spiritual disciplines. And, and some of you are like, well, what is the Great Commission that he's talking about? Well, Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so for, as a church, we've taken this verse as marching orders from the Lord. And so we exist as a church to inspire and equip people to give their whole lives to Jesus. Right? At the end of the day, we want the whole world to be followers of Jesus. The second thing is, so we... It, it, exists to inspire and equip people to give their whole lives to God, to grow in their relationship with him and others, and go tell the world the good news. And so Mark says that there are four good motivations, but on their own, they're not enough to sustain us in that. And he says the first motivation of fulfilling the great commission, the very first motivation for that is calling. And calling is important, but he says the challenge with calling is that calling is subjective and it won't sustain you. He said the second motivation is the word need, right? So the first one was calling, the second is need. And he said the challenge with need being the motivation is that the need could be so great and so overwhelming that it could lead to burnout. And so he said, as we think about the 14,000 unreached people groups around the world, people who have no access to the gospel, They're not exposed to a church. They're not exposed to a believer. They have no idea who Jesus is unless somebody goes and tells them there's 14,000. If if need is the only motivator, that is overwhelming. It can lead to burnout. He said the third motivation to fulfill the Great Commission is obedience, right, which is a noble thing, right, to do what God has asked us to do, to be obedient in that. And even as we think about spiritual disciplines, why would we do them? We're encouraged, we're we're commanded to spend time with God. Obedience to God is a great reason to fulfill the Great Commission and, and to spend time with him. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 22, we even see about obedience and how important it is. Samuel said to Saul about obedience, He says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. He says, obedience is better than sacrifice. So obedience is a a good motivator, but it on its own is not enough. And the challenge of of obedience being the motivation is it's law-based. And because it's law-based, it can, it, rather than grace-based, it steals the joy. It's the difference between having to do something and getting to do something. How many know what I'm talking about? There's so much more joy in getting to do something than having to do something. This week, uh, Deb Mumlthai reached out, this past week, Deb Mumlthai reached out to us and she said, hey, there's this family that, uh, that I've been discipling and the man has stage four cancer and he wants to get water baptized, but he's been going through chemotherapy and, uh, and his immune system is compromised. Is there any way that we could have a little small private baptism service for their whole family? Four of them want to get baptized. So you know what my response was? 
Oh, thank you. First service got it right too. I love that. It wasn't just a couple of you. It was a resounding yes. So I said to Deb, yes. And so on Thursday night, we gathered a few of the pastors and, and, uh, and some of the family and the closest friends. And there was this small group of people. And we had just a small, intimate time of worship, read a couple of scriptures. And then we baptized four people on Thursday night. And I'm just telling you, it was a get to, not a have to. If we view spiritual disciplines as just checking off a task on a list rather than getting to know God better, then it steals our joy. Spiritual disciplines should be viewed as a get-to, not a have-to. The fourth motivation that he mentioned that on its own is not enough to sustain is a love for the lost. And he stated that the obvious challenge with that motivation of love for the lost is that lost people act like lost people and sometimes lost people are hard to love. Some of you are like, sometimes believers are hard to love. He wrapped it up by saying these motivations together make a strong cord, but they're still not enough to sustain you to fulfill the great commission or for the church to fulfill the vision that we have or even for us to stay on purpose in spiritual disciplines. He said the motivation that will sustain us for that is the glory of God, the glory of God. We work to fulfill the great commission, not for the glory of man, not for our glory, but for God's glory. As we spend time in prayer and fasting, the motivation is the glory of God. The psalmist writes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. As we spend time with God, we'll know what our Father wants. Those will be the desires of our heart. And of course, he would grant us those desires because he has placed them there. David continues the psalm and remember what he's addressing. Why are good things happening to bad people and bad things happening to good people? In verse number five, it's like in some ways he's saying, don't worry about all of that. Instead, he writes, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and God will act. Remember, he's faithful, he'll act. He continues in verse number six, he'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And in verse number seven, these two words, be still. Be still. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. What do you need from him for today and what do you need from him for the future? How do we navigate the days before us? How do we handle the seasons of life that we go through? We be still before the Lord and we wait patiently for him. Over the next 14 days, let's still ourselves before the Lord in prayer and fasting and Bible reading. Not to in some way earn God's favor or to try to check a box on a list, but instead because we love him and we want our relationship with him to grow deeper and we want to delight ourselves in the Lord. I hope that in this moment, you're not still asking the question of what's in it for you as you think of spiritual disciplines. Instead, the selfishness has been 
removed and instead you're like, it's just for his glory. It's just for his glory. But I wanna tell you what I think can happen. If you'll dive into these spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, and reading your Bible and spending time with him, I believe that you'll experience joy and peace, a deeper relationship with the one who created the heavens and the earth in you. You'll find delight in the Lord. I'm gonna ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. And you say, today I wanna become a follower of him. You say, I wanna move from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. I wanna receive the free gift of eternal life that God has for me. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. Just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. You can lift them up all across this room. Thank you, I see that hand. You can put it down. Are there others this morning? Let's all stand. There was at least one hand that went up this morning of someone who needs to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who needs to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you raised your hand and you prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask that you do a couple of things. One is that you would look to the person on your left and on your right and you would let them know of the decision that you've made today so that they can encourage you in your journey. The second, in just a moment, the Worship team's gonna lead us in another song and as they do, the prayer team's gonna be on both sides of the stage. If you said that prayer today, then I would encourage you to step out of your seat and let them pray a prayer of encouragement and blessing over you in this journey that God's gonna take you on. In addition to that, if you've come here today needing prayer for anything, when the worship team begins to sing, I'd encourage you to step out of your seat and come forward. So I'm gonna pray. Worship team's gonna lead us in another song. Feel free to step out of your seat and come forward for prayer. God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that you, the creator of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of us, that you would desire to spend time with us, that you would give an invitation for us to do it. So Lord, I pray that today as we leave from here, that spending time with you would not be a chore or a duty or something that we just check off of a list, but instead, for each of us, the motivation would be to bring you glory. Lord, for those who, who their relationship is just at the very beginning, 
And I pray that as they open up your word, as they spend time in prayer and fasting, that they would come to know you in, in, in an even greater way, that their depth of relationship with you would grow stronger. Lord, over the next couple of weeks, as we continue to fast and pray, would you speak clearly to our hearts? Would the depth of our relationship with you grow in the passion for the things of you? Lord, set our desires to be your desires, and we ask that then, as we delight in you, that you would give us the desires of our heart for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.